the topic of marriage is we know that it's something that you created and something that you have given us guidance for in your word and we pray for your guidance here and we pray that this would be a fruitful and profitable conversation this morning we pray in Jesus name Amen Okay so this we're continuing on the subject of um, helping our spouses to grow. And of course, uh, a couple of things about this. One, I've, obviously, uh, this is a two-way street. We're helping each other to grow. So it is not a, something that, that is uh, one way. But, and that's a challenge, to try to both help each other grow. Um, and often the two goals conflict because um, I don't know about you but Marianne and I have had thousands of conversations where you know it's like the cat the dog chasing its own tail where I'm trying to point out something in her and she's trying to point out something in me simultaneously and we're neither of us is really doing a very good job of listening to the other person because we have a target you know in, in our we have our sights on something um, but ma marriage this is one of the great benefits of marriage is that we have someone like this who can be a catalyst of growth for us who can give us the feedback that we need and can help us to get to know ourselves because the fact is I've, I've known and met thousands and thousands of people in my life and I'm the only one of all those people who's never seen me. I've seen a reflection of myself in the mirror but I've never seen myself. So there are things about me I have no idea, you know, I can, I can spot someone 500 yards away and I can tell you who it is because I recognize the gate in, on their walk. But I don't know my own gate. I don't know my, the way I move my body. It's, so we're blind to ourselves. And so, so it's a great blessing to have someone there who knows us and theoretically loves us to uh, help us to get to know ourselves and to grow. Um, now really this topic is follow-up to the topic of the gnawing hunger spots and uh, because my wife said we well, can't just tell them that to you know about these things and not and not give them some guidance about how to go about trying to improve the situation so um, how to help your spouse grow last week we talked about the dangers of it we talked about the the attitude of wanting to help your spouse to grow more than wanting yourself to grow and how you know not only arrogant that is but how destructive it is because it's counterproductive it doesn't work when your spouse thinks that you want him or her to change but you don't really care about yourself 
And the second thing we, big thing we got out of it was that it's easy to want to change our spouse, not for the glory of Christ, not for the benefit of their happiness, but for our own selfish sake, for our own selfish reasons. And um, it's, it's, you know, that I want, you, you make my life uncomfortable or inconvenient, and I want, therefore, you to change. So, today we're going to talk about the three most powerful tools to help your spouse to grow. And those tools are humility, love, and prayer. This is my opinion, of course. But I think these are things that the scriptures give us as well. Um... So let's talk about each of those. First of all, humility. I mentioned last week the passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so the point Jesus is making here is that um, it's, it's partly about blindness. It's partly about just the fact that you don't see that there's something really big in you, but you do notice the tiny little thing in your spouse. We talked about the how eyesight is affected, you know, like a telescope. One direction we see everything too big, and the other direction we see everything too small. And how our view of our own sin is distorted by our sinfulness. And so the first thing is just to get to the point where we are, even though we don't see our sin and understand the depths of our sin, that we know it's there and act like it's there. And this is all about humility. Almost all marital problems are manifestations of sin in both husband and wife. But we can't discern these things objectively. I've made the point before, the illustration of umpires and referees in sports. And, uh, and that you know, sort of demonstrates this um, this phenomenon when they when you have a close call in a sports game, both sides are always almost always convinced that their side, you know, is the one that got up on base or caught the pass or wasn't out of bounds or whatever, and the other side is almost always on the other side. Here we are just seeing the same thing, but we judge it differently based on what we want. Now, nobody is, or rarely, are people trying to be deceptive, trying to, um, you know, just get the point for their team. They just see things differently. And that's why we need referees who theoretically don't care and are just trying to analyze it objectively. But that illustrates what's wrong with us, that we are unable to see 
ourselves and to see other people around us accurately, objectively. We always think that our sins, like every, almost every marital counseling situation I've ever had, and everybody's ever had, you know, both parties are saying, look, I'm not perfect. I sin, but my sins are minor and shallow. My partner, my spouse, their sins, they're the big sins in this situation. And that's what we've really got to focus on because that's the thing that's causing the problem. And both people are saying that. And who knows how many conversations they had with each other before they came into counseling. And so we have to realize that that is our nature. And we have to realize that, you know, it's not that, well, that may be true for everybody else. But for me, it's not because I see this really clearly. Because that's what everybody thinks. We can't be the only ones who see accurately. The fact that we look around and we see all these people seeing things wrong means that we see things wrong. How arrogant it would be to suppose that we are the one person that has escaped this human tendency. So, approaching our relationship mindful of our blindness, mindful of our blindness, to our blindness, eager to find out about those things that we're blind about, and willing to face the ugliness of our own sinfulness. This is the kind of attitude that we have to have if we're going to effectively be able to help another person to grow. If we don't have this kind of attitude, then number one, who is ever going to listen to us? We, nobody listens to people that they feel are attacking them or criticizing them for some sin when they are being hypocritical and they are just as guilty or more guilty than I am. It's amazing how your memory is sharp. As soon as someone, as soon as someone accuses you of something, all the things that they've done suddenly come back to your memory. It's amazing. We have this something in our minds that can recall the other person's faults and faux pas when they are accusing us. And second of all, why in the world would God ever grant us success in helping our spouse to change if in fact we are resisting God's helping to change us? So, worry first about your own growth and that attitude will actually affect the other person. This isn't just take care of your own problem first. This is a way to help your spouse. You help your spouse by helping yourself first have an attitude of humility and wanting to get yourself right more than you want to get them right 
that's contagious. That's powerful. That moves people when they see that. And it helps them to want to do the same thing, have the same attitude. Okay, the second thing is love. Humility, love, and prayer. Love changes people. I was looking at a book in my library, which I haven't read, but I would really like to read. And I I haven't read it because it's not on Audible. But uh, it's called Bold Love. I've read other books by, by Dan Allender and by Tremper Longman. The Courageous Practice of Life's Ultimate Influence. Love is life's ultimate influence. Here is the most powerful tool that we have in our box of weapons or tools. It's love. And, uh, you know, we, there's, it's not at all the, the tool that is most natural to us. When we see another person who's doing something wrong, we naturally use argument, we use pressure, we use retaliation, you know, giving them a taste of their own medicine, nagging. These are the tools which are natural to use. But the fact is, love is the really powerful tool. And uh, so... I commend to you the practice of love. Now we owe love to everyone, even our enemies. But there's no one we owe love to more, besides the Lord, than our spouses. Because that is the person God has told us first and foremost to love. The, uh, the scriptures are just filled with this kind of thinking. Let me read you. Um, two passages, one from Colossians 3. And this isn't a passage about marriage, but it is about marriage and about everything else as well. Put on, but think about it in terms of your marriage. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a great passage about marriage. And there's another one in Romans 12. And there's actual number of more, but I'm just going to give you a sampling. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. 
Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there's some discussion, maybe some argument over the meaning of this concept of heaping burning coals upon your enemy's head. But it's clear that he's talking about loving as a way to overcome someone else's hostility. You know, because he goes on to say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here, love is a powerful tool even to, to go face to face and head to head with hostility. And, um, and so, you know, the other things that, things that come naturally to us, those things are generally unproductive. Love is your most powerful tool. And love changes people. Now, of course, God ultimately is the only one who changes people. And love, partly, is just a way of trusting God to do his work. And um, so, so I don't mean to say that somehow there's a power in love. So you go out and say, well, I loved her and she still didn't do any change. Well, that's not the right attitude. You love and you pray and you wait. And in God's good time, he has the power to change the person. I was talking to uh, Bob recently and... He said that um, he mentioned in passing, talking about his life, that he uh, he doesn't mind being yelled at. He said maybe that's why I was comfortable in the military. And uh, you know, I I thought, well, that's that's really the way I am. I don't mind being yelled at. But my wife, she minds being yelled at. And so you have to adapt love. Love isn't this an easy formula where you just do this, this, and this. Different people are different. And we have to uh, adapt ourselves to um, the people that, that we have to love. And so, um, you know, for, me, for my wife and for many people, um, if you are strong... 
it's counterproductive in the way you're communicating. It's counterproductive even if everything you're saying is perfectly accurate. And even if the motivation of your heart is, is loving. Because they're just not going to hear it if you come on too strong. And so, um, you know, the way I say it is, you know, treat your spouse in the way that you want your dental hygienist to treat you when she's cleaning your teeth. You know, you want her to be very alert to your nerve endings and very careful to target the teeth and not the gums because your gums hurt when she targets or hits them accidentally. So that's the way that uh, um, we need to have for, for most people. Now, that isn't necessarily the way it is for all, but for, uh, for many, it is. Um, you know, my dad was a Marine, and, and he treated me like, you know, like Marines treat each other. And, you know, and it, was, it was normal, and it, was, wasn't, um, it wasn't destructive for me. All three of my siblings have very different experiences. So... Um, it's just got to be different. And now the last one is prayer. Humility, love, and prayer. Um, obviously, um, we need the Lord's help. If, we're, if our spouse is actually going to change, it's not going to be by our power. It's going to be by the Lord's mercy and the Lord's spirit. And so... Um, Without, you know, without prayer, what, what is the, even the purpose? Well, it, it makes it look like we think we can do it. That it's really our cleverness or our forcefulness that's the key. But uh, if we recognize that the Lord is the Lord of the heart, then we have to include prayer. Now the first kind of prayer that we should include is prayer of repentance for not loving our spouse the way that we ought to love not loving our spouse like Christ loved this church and uh, all of us have plenty to repent of to repent for regarding that and then the second kind of, the second kind of prayer is prayer that God would help you to love your spouse well And the third kind of prayer, because, you know, it's not just that your spouse can't change without the Lord's grace in his life or work in her heart, but you can't love well without the Lord. Love comes from God. Love isn't something that you can produce or something that you have on your own. So pray for love that you would be able to love your spouse well. And then the third kind of prayer is praying that you're, for your spouse to be filled with the grace of God, to be filled with the Spirit, and have their eyes opened to the love of Christ. It's not, Lord, change their character, change their behavior. If all you care about is their behavior and their character, it's probably 
a prayer that's being prayed selfishly. The real change that happens in a human being is the change in the heart whereby God opens the eyes of the heart to see the Lord, to see his love, to see his mercy, to see the hope that is ours in eternity. These are the things that really change a person's heart at their, at their core and that produce outward changes. So that's the kind of prayer um, to pray for your spouse. Now, in praying for your spouse, always pray, your will be done. Because um, it's very easy for us, if we're praying selfishly, to just pray, Lord, do this, do this. I remember screaming prayers to the Lord. Lord, change her! At times early in our marriage. And, but there was no, but thy will be done in that prayer at all. It was like, this is driving me bananas. I can't take any more of this. Change her. But, uh, and that just proves that it was all about me. And I'm glad that God didn't answer that prayer because I needed her to be the way that she was to humble me and to show me my own sin. So always pray, your will be done, which gives God permission to not change her, to not change him if that is his will. If you need your spouse not to be changed at that moment. So, three powerful tools God has given us to help our spouse to grow. Humility, love, and prayer. And now, I thought that we'd break in groups as couples. And, uh, and that um, here the I just thought it would be good to go through as a couple. Um, and I know that some don't have spouses here today, so they'll have to link up with somebody else. Um, but uh, I have these two questions, or, or not two questions, but just talk about these three things and discuss which, uh, which is your strongest point, your weakest point, and then uh, do it in both directions. So take the man first, which is the man's uh, strongest point of these three, which is his weakest point, and then talk about the wife's, and then spend the rest of the time praying together. Any questions about that? Okay, well, go somewhere in the room, scatter out, and, uh, and the people that aren't in couples can, you know, uh, um, link up. So maybe Jordan and Bob and Steve and Juan talk or something like that. Mary can go prepare. Or <laughs>